0: Welcome, everybody, to episode 46 of the Light Shed podcast. I'm Brandon Ross, along with Walter Pisick and Richard S. Greenfield. And um, taking a look over at my my Bloomberg screen, it looks like everyone is running at this point. Um, <laughs> cues down another... Percent or so today. It's been a pretty legacy media,
1: though, is been a a pretty
0: bloody week um, for for tech, especially. I guess inflation is now a thing. The COVID trade is over, and um, and uh, as a result, as a result, I know you're happy, Rich, because Fubo is down uh, another twelve percent today and is at twenty eight. So I know. Even if you're losing money in your personal account, you're a happy guy.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it is start of it is a staggering though that some of these value names that did not participate for a long time. You know, seeing Viacom now, you know, sort of seventy three, you know, all time high. Discovery fifty three, I sorry sixty four on the on the A's all time high. I mean, if you would have said to me that media companies, given all of the changes in viewership and cord cutting. Would be hitting all literally all-time highs in the midst of this, I never would have believed it six months ago. It's yeah, just and um, amazing.
0: If we think about what post-pandemic life is going to be like, it doesn't seem to me that even as these companies launch streaming services, um, they're going to be a real beneficiary. In fact, because of the changes that took place in COVID, um, whether it's shift to the larger streaming platforms, Netflix, Disney Plus, the additional um, shift into video games platforms like Roblox, you would you would think that these companies would be on their ass as the amount of time that we're going free time we're going to have uh, is going to go away pretty soon or hopefully.
1: It just feels like you just mentioned Is the it word just streaming.
0: false false optimism on streaming? and the yeah. I guess maybe the idea that everyone can tell the same story as Disney Plus with the same outcome. But we've discussed right. it numerous times, and streaming is hard. It takes a lot of content and differentiated content um, to grow subscribers past a, a certain point. And um I. I think things will right-size when that realization happens. And also, uh, we see what the linear ecosystem looks like post-COVID.
1: It's going to be very interesting. I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of, you know, quote-unquote, reset in expectations. It's easy to add subs. You come out, you start promoting things really aggressively. People try things out. There was a slide that Antenna Analytics posted this week that I think got circulated in Recode, and it was something to the effect of, like, 50% of subscribers to CBS All Access that signed up in, like, January last year were still subscribers. Like, there's a lot of churn that kicks in, and so minimizing churn is going to be a real challenge for all of these companies. It's easy to add subs. It's much harder to keep subs. And, and I think that's going to be the real story, especially as more of these services are competing for your time and attention. You know, like Walt signed up for peacock for for um, Premier League. All of these things are competing for wallet share. And it, it'll be interesting as shows end or, you know, uh, certain sports end. do you stick around all year or do you just sort of swap in and out of these services? I think that's going to be a hot topic later in twenty one
0: man, technology is also hard. <laughs> As evidenced by last week's Viacom analyst day and their their failures in streaming this at the Super Bowl, so I guess we'll just see how it goes.
1: But you know, talking about the other aspect of rotation, Brandon, we've got a big stock going public that's going to take dollars away from you know potentially some of the media stocks this week, which is Roblox going public middle of next week.
0: Yeah, I think it will direct list on Wednesday, and they did an analyst day last Friday, I think after we've actually recorded the podcast and gave a really compelling um, vision of a two-sided marketplace with really two interconnected flywheels, one on the um, supply side for content creation, and and one on the demand side, where it's become a very social platform, and uh, as we're even engaging, away from
1: the games itself.
0: Yeah, well, I, I if you want to call them games, like some of them are objective-based games, but there's just a millions of experiences on there or thousands where people are just hanging out, spending time together, and maybe. They're, quote, doing shit together, um, but it may not be highly competitive objective based. It could be more like the invest and express games that we saw at a Zynga um, in, in Farmville, only highly social versions where you're in virtual space with others.
1: I, well, I thought when they were at the analyst day or virtual analyst day, I should say, when they were showing off, like just hanging out in ancient Rome and you could just be there with your friends. Like, I think there's something to sort of that aggregating, at you know, in locations and places that is that was really interesting. Like, I didn't realize that you could do that inside of Roblox. Versus- well,
0: you can't really do that yet, but I think they were give or maybe barely, but they were giving you a glimpse of the future. And as the platform is built out with more photorealism attached to it and developers are incentivized to make bigger and better experiences, they're showing you what's possible. And it's going to move from these sort of simplistic games to something much bigger over time.
1: Should we go to slide number one? Um, I know we're all waiting for one uh, division's final episode, or I know Walt is for today, certainly for tonight. I assume you watch tonight,
2: yeah, we watch like most people um week to week, episodic. So you this just, is the this is the big finale. I'm trying to avoid. Any spoilers on Twitter. You know, I've been tweeting about this. We we were negative about it the first couple of episodes, then we were very positive about it. That wasn't enough though, Rich. You didn't you obviously ignored the positive tweets from the third yeah. and the fourth episode. You waited till the the seventh episode yeah. before you decided to watch it. Um so I appreciate sure. that. But I'm, I'm it's not surprising that you would like content that I said would be good. Uh, you know, as a reminder to our um to our listeners, I did predict that Captain Marvel would top star Wars. Um, I think it was two years ago, grossing over a billion dollars um, in that year. So
1: you also like Lupin, which I loved and I watched because you told me to watch it. I love that five episode series. And there's a, there's a, another five episodes coming.
2: I just hope Disney plus can accelerate some of their other content. Cause it's obviously been a great weekly event um, for our family as it has been for many people. So um, we'll see what else Disney, Disney can come up with to, to feed that, that engine of, Star Wars or Marvel content?
1: Well, content that is leaving the traditional ecosystem is Thursday Night Football. Uh, Our first slide is, this is scoop from Joe Flint at the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Amazon is in talks to carry many NFL games exclusively on Prime Video. And so, um, you know, we've been, this was our sort of one of our key predictions for 21 is that Amazon had to step in and the viewpoint was if you're the NF, first of all, you've got the networks, none of them are making money on Thursday night. Uh, it wasn't helping them because they were, whether it was NBC and CBS beforehand or most recently Fox, they had other packages that were driving their fees from distributors. Thursday wasn't helping and they were losing money on the ad sales. And so now I think what's interesting is, at least if the report is right, Amazon stepping in and I think they, I think Fox spends like $660 million a year. Rumor is, or the speculation is, is that Amazon's going to spend upwards of a billion dollars in the new package to have 10 years of of NFL games on Thursday night with at least a chunk of them. It's unclear how many, but a chunk of them uh, because you still have the NFL network that has to have some Thursday games, but uh, probably 10 or 11 games could be exclusive to Amazon Prime. So it's a pretty big deal for Amazon, like finally stepping up. And I assume we'll see who they hire for announcers, Walt. Uh, but they've got to go out and hire announcers and crews and, you know, they got to have trucks and all of that for Thursday Night Football, something Amazon's never done.
2: I mean, obviously, look, seminal moment, huge thing for a variety of reasons. I think you've talked uh, about the fact that it's not going to be available on traditional TV. That's and you can kind of go off on that riff. Um, that's that's an interesting one. The, the redundant riff that I go off on is the technology, which is the meeting that we have that our listeners have probably heard. Me referred to over our last forty-six episodes and multiple times about how the NFL was concerned about how any streaming platform um, would technologically be able to handle the number of simultaneous viewers for a national single game. Now, you could some people could argue that Thursday night games are crap, but I think that's a that's a uh, tired trope, if that's the right word. The reality was Thursday night games were really fucking good um, in this past season. The NFL makes
0: they did better. the The
2: NFL has 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 good products, so I think it's you know what, what I'm sure you and Brandon can kind of riff off of the, the relevance to how it's killing television, which I, for one can't wait to get off of direct TV and cut my Sunday ticket. So I can't wait till that
0: happens. You don't even use your direct TV. You're always trying to use the the individual apps anyway, except you're always like, I'm in the NBC app. I'm in the CBS app. I think you do it just to fucking torture yourself. Just so you can, (laughs) (laughs) you can open it up, be frustrated and have something to tweet about. (laughs) I mean,
2: everyone knows the benefit of of apps that work well and the flexibility of having better the better TVs. But first of all, when you're going to get a better TV, you're you're you will move to an app. Or, but the bigger problem is, Brandon, is that um, which again, sorry to be redundant, yeah. but Like Directv, since AT&T bought Directv, um, they've put like nothing into the technology. It's 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 complete garbage compared to to where it was relative to the competition years ago. Um, customer service has been bad. So, I mean, now they're, we all know they're spinning that out. I don't know if that's going to change things under Bill Morrow, the decider, but, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, it, it is, it is, I guess it is we are moving to that world. So anyway, so you guys can now talk
0: about, yeah, uh, no, no, just, no, no, I'm, I, I'm actually, I think it's, it's significant that a tech platform is making a real investment a what 10 figure investment probably in sports rights but it see it does seem like amazon is the only one that was bidding here and the only one of the tech platforms that seems really serious about getting in, um involved in in buying high priced sports rights and it's a, it's, as a, we it's a start though no, it absolutely so is. What, but start. what happened
2: to Apple then? Uh, didn't we uh, suspect that they may be active in the bidding? Why weren't they? Well, not not for all. this.
0: Sunday ticket is, is something that makes a little more sense because it fits well with a channel store or an app store mm-hmm. merchandised as uh, can we as shift gears? Buy.
1: Can we shift gears? Let's talk about the other crazy part about this. This is supposedly an 11 year deal.
0: Yeah, that is nuts.
1: 11 years. Is CBS going to exist in 11 years? Is Fox going to exist in 11 years? What does TV look like in 11? I mean, 20- What do the change
0: of control provisions look like in these days? I
1: have no idea. I'm just saying, like, it's sort of mind-boggling to think about, like, how many people are going to have a TV subscription, forget about in two or three years, but, like, in 10 years? Like, who's subscribing to Charter Video in 10 years? I'm well, just sort they of are like- bro-
0: They are broadcast networks. So over the uh, over, over the air, forget over the top.
1: I'm just trying to think about like how, you know, someone, you know, we, we wrote- How like they're going to
0: pay for it. <laughs> well,
1: right. We wrote six takeaways from this uh, as a post earlier this week. And someone tweeted back at me, you forgot number seven, which company files for bankruptcy because of the cost of these rights over the course of the 11 years. And it's like, you know- it is like one of those things you think about of like, this is a lot of cost to lock in. If your revenues are falling, you know, subs falling, advertising falling and your costs, you know, are basically now fixed and escalating into the next decade. It's just, it's sort of just something scary to think about. I don't know. Uh, let's Agree. go to the next. Yeah. Let's just go to the next slide. Cause it sort of relates to sort of the change in sports. One of the bidders for sports rights, you know, when we were talking about the new NFL deals, there was a lot of chatter 12 months ago that DeZone, uh, which is Len Blavatnik's company, was going to be a major bidder. They had hired John Skipper, uh, former ESPN head, to run the business and to really be the focus of the US. They had started buying some things like live lookings for Major League Baseball games. It didn't seem like it was really working. And then news came out this week that Kevin Mayer, former Disney, we've talked about Kevin, went to TikTok, left TikTok. Um, but there's news out that he's becoming non executive chairman of the zone. And I think, you know, first, that's interesting. Obviously, he's got a new sort of high profile position. But the other piece of this story is that the real growth potential um, he's citing in this tweet. So let me just read it exciting to be chairman of the zone. No doubt the future of sports and entertainment is in streaming. And I think there's real growth potential in European and Asian markets, especially for sports. And so he's clearly signaling a shift here. That the U.S. is not the focus of the zone, and so for everyone, you know, Brandon, you were asking no other digital player bidding on NFL rights uh, other than Amazon. Clearly, the zone is not one of those bidders. Was not one of those bidders, and is not going to be bidding for other sports rights. I think that's pretty interesting in and of itself.
0: Agree, but I have one question. Yeah, how many jobs does Kevin Mayer now have? I feel I feel like every week I. I read uh, about him doing something else. This this guy is, um, I don't know. This is a non-executive. He's a a real renaissance, man. I
2: know. (laughs) (laughs) So he's not necessarily there the day to day. He's providing his expert guidance for the overall company. Yeah, he yeah. definitely has his hands in a lot
0: of things now. No,
1: and if you think about seems. Kevin, he, w- he was a deal guy. You know, he w- he ran strategy before he was head of D2C at Disney. He ran strategy, which is basically the deal guy. And so in many ways, SPACs and non like, sort of looking at, you know, you know doing many different Private things.
0: Private equity. And- yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. I don't know. A little bit of like venture,
0: a, a little bit of this, a little bit of that.
1: Okay, let's go um, – There was this uh, tweet from Del Mondo's Nick Cicero that says, great insights at the, uh, this was the sports pro conference from YouTube uh, where there was a quote he has, there was a 65% increase in sports content being consumed on TV screens, supports our Conviva data as well. We found in the sports industry, YouTube video increased in length by 60% on average. Um, And you know I just think there is sort of this, We've been talking sort of continuously about how TV viewership is falling, how sports viewership is falling on TV, and yet consumption on YouTube, consumption on Facebook, consumption of sports content is actually rising a lot. It's just not in full-length games, the things that you know yep. drive the, the monetization. But sports, we're becoming far more rabid sports fans, whether it's Twitter, whether it's YouTube. We're just not watching long form games the way we used to. I mean, the three of us may.
0: You know, the the, things that monetize.
1: Right. (laughs) It reminds me of that Jim Dolan at CES several years ago, Brandon, where Dolan, I mean, I forget the, I'll butcher
0: the quote. He basically said it's never going to be better than it was in a, in an era of limited video distribution.
1: And now that you have kind of now, now that you can get this content everywhere in pieces, even. You're never going to monetize the same way.
0: Yeah. Still, and everyone keeps buying still the, league, the leagues have to embrace um, these platforms, though, because otherwise they will become irrelevant, fully irrelevant to consumers. So it's better to stay the in front of them and become and, fully relevant. Yeah, yeah. And figure out monetization the best you can rather than trying to stick to the, you know, the legacy way only and fade into the background that's a problem that major league baseball really has had as opposed to the nf i said the nb i almost said nft (laughs) but um the nba has and look the nba continues to be experimental nba top shots has become a phenomenon um over the last couple of weeks yeah figuring out Yeah. New ways to make money, embracing new technologies um, as opposed to just sitting there with their their head in the sand.
1: Maybe we can get to partial ownership and everybody can own a piece of uh, the Sixers, Brandon.
0: Maybe the Sixers will one day be on the the blockchain.
1: But let me just call an audible for a second. So (laughs) NFL rights going up dramatically does this mean NHL rights get killed? Does this mean, I mean, who should be worried about this, you think?
0: Um, excuse me?
1: Well, like if if NFL rights are going up as high as they just went up, you know, over yep. 100%, even Thursday night. Oh, I, going see. I, a lot I, see,
0: I see what you're saying. Like what are the second order of effects? Of yeah.
1: That? yeah and,
0: we, and we've talked about it. Now this stretches the budgets for um, those traditional media companies. And if streaming doesn't come through in a big way for them, then there's going to be serious margin compression there, which means that they're going to have less dollars available to spend on other content. And some of that other content is other sports rights. And it, it'll be interesting to see exactly where the NHL shakes out when they complete their deals. Um, uh for, I don't know. There was actually something in the press today about ESPN plus being a part of it. So like I think the for, NHL think deal Fox, will come soon.
1: Do you think Fox moving away from Thursday night is good for WWE or bad for WWE? I mean, it frees up dollars, but it They're also. Free, no,
0: it, it, I think any any place where you're freeing up dollars is is good for the others um, who uh, who are selling content. Um, however, they did. While they got rid of Thursday night, they still, in aggregate, um, increased their overall expenditure right. because Sunday went up so much. So, so much. that's that's something to keep in mind.
1: So there's news out of DraftKings today. We announced a strategic agreement with Dish to bring our sportsbook and daily fantasy experiences directly to Dish customers nationwide, beginning with a first-of-its-kind DraftKings app integration on the Dish tv hopper platform and we were told it actually went live this week so you can literally click um you'll, you'll actually be able to to literally place a bet or sorry not place a bet you'll be able to signal a bet with the with dishes hopper and it sends a text message to your cell phone where you can then instantly i guess go right into the the DraftKings app the hopper, the hopper. So
0: you're just, Remember that? <laughs> just sending a message so you still have to do everything on your phone correct I think it's just, it's like, it's the confirmation of the trade of the bet um, that has to happen on the phone. But yeah, it's still a two screen experience. I guess that gets around the challenge of kids, you know, starting to bet wildly on the TV screen. Because kids don't have phones. And being able to to keep control. Um, Yeah, that's a good point. I guess whatever, the account theoretically should be logged in only to the parent which should have you can have a login, your login television as well they've on, got logins phone they have
2: logins for nc 17 content and everything else i'm not sure why that really makes a difference so it's just it's any extra clicks obviously are not great <laughs> for any type of <clears throat> user experience um, and i think as portnoy was kind of railing off um on one of his DTTG things, it seemed just kind of silly. Like if you're betting on your phone, like why does it really matter if it's on your screen? But okay, whatever.
1: Well, no, I I was actually gonna say, Walt, I agree with you. Like this just, this was tried early on. There There was a platform, you may remember it was called Skybet. It was the early sort of integration and you could actually on the sky set top box in the UK, FanDuel, I think, partnered with them, or I forget who the partner was, but there was basically the ability to bet directly off of Sky's platform in the UK. And it didn't really work. Like, I mean, it just wasn't really used. And it's like, what's the advantage of betting on your TV when you're, who is not sitting with their phone in front of them, looking at stats or whatever it is, like you're living on your phone. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. And
2: also the bigger challenge is what they're referencing. Just by the description of it is in-game betting, and in-game betting to a certain extent relies on a certain number, a certain amount of latency. So now you're adding a step in the latency of your betting, on top of the fact that it if you actually well. are using Sling or Fubo or whatever, those those streams are materially behind. Um, so let's go back to my Super Bowl experience, where the CBS Access app was trash and crash. Um, so I did have my direct TV in a different room, but then I had them both going as I'm trying to figure it up and get my, my YouTube TV subscription, but there's a material lag in any type of streaming service versus what's on your television that now you're going to add an additional step of sending something to your phone and then completing the bet
0: on the phone. Like I, that's just, yeah. There, there's just going to be massive limitations to the integration of streaming content and and placing bets, it. What it sounds like people great. that have actually haven't it'd,
2: bet live betting and understand exactly what is valuable and
1: f- interesting. First of all, first of all, you guys are right. The most interesting part about this for draft but, industry, This
0: is also a build, but it's a building block for something that could occur have, in the future when technology becomes I actually, better whether I it's 5g think this is- i don't know that your space wall whether it's 5g or or whatever may help enable it i think here's the thing about 5g like look i don't know it, it sounds good to talk about 5g
2: and low latency yeah but the, the, the the difference in latency we're talking about 30 milliseconds versus let's say three milliseconds so your fiber fios connection versus your cell phone like on one hand, I can rip into, which I just did, the the latency and streaming. We were talking like fucking minutes, right? Versus like 30 milliseconds versus three milliseconds. That's really not going to make that much of a difference in a live betting experience. So if the 5G aspect of it, it will sound good. I'm sure companies like T-Mobile will market the shit out of that in terms of why it's better for for, for this particular application. But come on like that's not going to make a difference. I
1: I think this is two things, two reactions. One, great for DraftKings, free promotion on dish set-top boxes. Like, seems like a no-brainer just to bring in customers from a customer acquisition standpoint. So even if it's not heavily used, certainly not bad for the brand. The crazy part about this whole thing is this is literally what broke Fubo because Fubo's whole story is like, we're going to do this. This is going to be unique to us. So this... This thing that nobody really thinks people are actually going to use and seems sort of clunky to your point in terms of a two screen experience with latency. But this is what people finally like looked at for Fubo and said, this is why we're going to sell the stock and through, it's just their, ironic. through
0: their grand acquisitions, which it, right. it turns out that Balto acquisition it, it came out in the financials yeah. was for 44000 or $42,000. For, for 45000
2: 45,
0: Okay, whatever right it was. It? And it, what did the market cap go up on the day of that acquisition? Yeah,
2: yeah. The market Hundreds. sell off may have had something to do with it the, as well <laughs> this week. I mean, No, no, no. I, I wouldn't no, I, tag I understand. all of it I'm, into DraftKings no, 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 and, no, no, and no, no, earnings. No,
0: for, no uh, not even talking about the sell-off in Fubo. Right. But just pointing out that the acquisition, and one of the principal acquisitions they made to enable this, was for forty-four thousand dollars, which indicates. Yeah, I mean, that's it was look, That's just a validation a team of, that no one gave a shit about.
2: That is just a validation of what Rich and you guys have said in, in past um, in past podcasts. So I, I get that. I don't think that that necessarily was the. The breaker for it but we'll say
0: no it definitely wasn't still got a ways to go for the, for the okay. stock i think broader market is <laughs>
1: walt lead us through this this is this is one of my favorites of the week by far
2: well what um richard greenfield is showing on the screen right now for our podcasters is a deleted tweet from verizon's customer support saying are you noticing that your battery life is draining faster than normal one way to help conserve battery life is to turn on lte go to cellular." cellular data options, voice and data, and tap LTE. So when you're turning on LTE, if you actually did that on your phone, you want to pick up your iPhone right now, go to cellular, cellular data options, voice and data. What you'll see is by turning on LTE, you're basically just turning off 5G. So obviously this is just a really bad look for Verizon to be telling their customers to turn off the thing that's been their big marketing push that that their CEO got on stage with got on on stage with Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs. Jesus. Got on stage with Tim Cook. Oh my God. Was that a? We're doing breakdown? okay
0: for the for those who are listening. It is in a long, tough. That is why you chose the
1: song, right, Brandon? This has been yeah. Well,
0: break. another reason we've just been on the run,
2: but. <laughs> Yes, this has been a grueling week. Now, he was not um, on stage with like- Steve Jobs in spirit perhaps, but Tim Cook was the big 5G push was here. So to say like to turn off your phone to preserve battery life. Now, look, Verizon got crushed by this <laughs> by the press for good reason, but the reality is that like if you have a T-Mobile phone or an AT&T phone and you went to those same settings, you'll see that even on any iPhone or 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 any advice even in T-Mobile's um Customer care you can find online. They'll tell you that obviously using five G will burn your battery. So it's just it's just the reality of a new technology as you're using more data speeds with thinner coverage areas and, and in Verizon's case um, using millimeter wave spectrum that this is a this is a um, function but pretty funny turn in, in the Twitter world for this year for this week.
1: So um, why don't we go to um, sort of the collapse of linear tv um this is just sort of (laughs) is that a theme this
0: week it (laughs) is the collapse of linear television trending
1: (laughs) uh maybe it is but this was golden globes which obviously pandemic screwed up but the, the the part that was sort of staggering about this is just the numbers um you know seeing the number fall from 13 14 million down to 7 million for the golden globes it's just everywhere we look across this ecosystem, there's just more to do, whether it's Roblox, whether it's streaming. You know, it's funny, the same week that that came out, you know, the Golden Globe number collapsed, we just had the launch this week of Paramount+. And so you've got Paramount+, Plus splattered across Amazon, sorry, across Apple's iOS and Google Play with heavy promotion. All of these companies keep telling you, every time they go on TV, actually, I was watching the Golden Globes. There were nonstop ads for Peacock. There were actually ads for Paramount+. And then they're surprised when ratings collapse on linear TV because they're telling you repeatedly to go watch streaming services. And it's like, we're talking, I mean, we started this podcast off talking about Walt's really excited. I'm really excited about WandaVision tonight. It's like everywhere you look, everything that everyone's talking about is on streaming. And yet they write these stories, these headlines, like, oh my God, all-time low ratings for these telecasts. And it's like, what do you expect when you tell everyone... Not to watch linear TV and you put all your best programming on streaming, so I, that's my rant. I'm just, I think it's just funny that these stories keep coming out and they seem surprised by new record lows every time they write.
0: How does this do we is know like it? a throwback podcast to the good luck bundle days? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <It's the> <laughs> right. <laughs> it's,
2: it's, my question though is, um,
0: like once again,
2: yes, in this case, I did not use my. Awful direct TV box to watch the Golden Globes, which I enjoyed. I streamed it via an app. I, I'm not sure which of the multiple NBC apps I used. Um, but my I guess my question is, are any of these ratings impacted by the fact that however they're measuring them, that some other people are doing the same thing that I'm doing, and that maybe they're that's a false read on the actual decline in viewership of that particular piece of content? What what are where are those ratings from? Nielsen? Oh. And don't we always say that Nielsen numbers are just not really great?
1: They are, but they're equally bad. Assumingly, they're equally bad a year ago. So, uh, you know, as long as they're both. I don't know. I I
2: didn't stream it a year ago and I streamed it this year. I mean, television prices dropped. I got a, a great new smart TV. I mean, Roku would tell you how great They're pretty, their pretty
0: sure viewership numbers are now inclusive of
2: okay. I that, I don't know. That's a, that was my question. Like I don't know if, yeah. if any of it's impacted by how people move away. It seems like it's Well,
1: it, it, that seems like a perfect segue. I'm going to I'm going to audible here and move up to our next tweet because funny enough, mentioning sort of watching on a streaming device and Nielsen Roku actually acquired Nielsen's advanced TV business this week. What they're trying to do is essentially Roku recognizes that more and more people are watching linear TV on a smart TV. So Walt, you have a Sony or a, what? Who, what TV do you have? LG.
2: Actually, I have many TVs, so I'm not really sure which TV that this particular content was viewed on. I, I believe perhaps LG. I think. Okay, it was so the let's just take West. LG. So so okay. let's
1: take LG. So um um.
2: WebLS, the, the, sorry.
1: Right. So th- that w- web OS, it wouldn't work. But if you had a, if, if, think of it, it wasn't an LG, but it was a Roku TV. You were using the smart TV. If you were watching linear TVs, let's just say you were watching direct TV or you were watching any linear stream, could be YouTube TV or whatever. This would enable, if you had a Roku TV, to swap the ad and actually put a targeted ad versus the national ad that you're seeing. Right. so Roku's trying to basically recognize that more and more people are watching linear content on smart TVs and they want to basically use their technology to serve ads beyond just the things that they the inventory that they control.
2: I don't have a Roku. That's the one product I do not have in my house. Um, But I will say, Rich, uh, uh, let me ask you this question, though. You've heard my frustration with uh, the NBC products and specifically Peacock in, in terms of watching EPL games or what have you and those kind of placeholders where you would put ads, is Roku able to place ads there or do they have to cut a deal somehow with NBC in order to get that
1: Well, actually, that's, that, that's what I was going to go. Even with what I just showed you, everything requires programmer consent. So like the programmer has to buy in. They have to be willing to recognize that, hey, I can sell an ad at a much higher CPM by working with Roku to insert that ad how about any CPM? Because uh, Peacock
2: I'm, is giving me I'm, 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 literally nothing. Wait, please wait for your programming. So I think it's something might be better than zero NBC. Uh, but,
0: but, but Pe- Pe- Peacock did a very limited um ad partnership with only a a small group of advertisers for the first couple of years. Okay. So they haven't really enabled the type of inventory that you're that you're seeing. Well, so, Brandon, what if they um, just decided, like, okay, while we figure
2: out how to actually sell ads? That was probably um, a mistake, let, by the way. But yeah, let's just make money with Roku for the next year or two and give this shit so, a try. So, and let, so, so, so it, how far would that no, be? No, no. to Can they just it, flip it, a switch and then all of a sudden I'm using Roku and it's going to drop ads there? Uh, look, look, the,
1: the balance answer is and power. Yes. And, and it's a very touchy subject. So, this is what we basically, there is a really good logic to saying, hey, Roku could sell the ad with much better data, could fill the slot, but then you're empowering a beast. No, 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 no. That's not my around. question.
2: I, I get that. I get that debate. My question is, let's assume for whatever reason they just said, look, it doesn't fucking matter Like, because we can just turn them off in three months. Let's just give it a shot. I'm asking the technical question. Like, Can Roku just flip the switch and then absolutely. hop into the NBC app? Absolutely.
1: Abs- okay. Absolutely.
2: Right. So your it, it, your point that you were trying to make is that the obvious one, which is like, you know, does NBC want to turn over that power of the ads because they can't figure out how to in a short tick time frame drop more ads in EPL games where they probably have three or four million viewers?
1: They they dropped a whole bunch of programming into Netflix, made Netflix a lot stronger, and then got a vis you know, basically if you think about Braveheart at the end, right? Like they've been sort of gutted inside out over the course of the last 10 years. Like I think there is fear of like how much do you empower Roku?
2: I can't believe you brought up the Braveheart. So, what Rich is referencing there um, is the end of Braveheart. But the reason that's in the back of his mind is because when people were saying to hold the line at four hundred dollars on GameStop, um, they had the meme of of uh, who is it? Mel Gibson like rallying the troops. I don't even know if we talked about this on a past podcast. And the fact that the end scene (laughs) of that was Mel Mel Gibson. having his entrails ripped out of his body, which is basically what's happening right now with anyone that was holding the line at in some of these meme stocks. So, but. Cer-
1: certainly on Fubo today. Um, okay, uh, let's go. Uh, sticking on smart TVs, Vizio files for an IPO. Uh, certainly not shocking. Um, you know, we saw the former... Um, you know CFO of Showtime longtime CBS executive Adam Townsend went over to be CFO there's been a tremendous amount of hiring of executives in the ad side of Vizio over the last couple of years they've built a very impressive platform you know their version of what Walt you were talking about LG and webOS Vizio has their own smart TV platform for apps and they have you know reported 12.2 million streaming accounts Roku has Fifty-five million, I think, Brandon, something like that, and has a fifty-plus billion-dollar valuation. So I think it makes a lot of sense that Vizio is going public, trying to take advantage of sort of the excitement over connected TVs. Yep.
0: But they the can pitch pieces- the, they can pitch this <laughs> the same story as Roku that they yep. own a television operating system. Yep. And they just happen to be a hardware company too, I guess. But you know, right? So, they so you they just sell stand- cheap TVs, not not. Consum- I think Consumer I Reports Roku and a bunch of other places wear. are
2: pushing them as like having good TVs. So you have to, the risk is you have to continue to iterate and staying up with television technology and having a good picture as well as the software of having the good operating system. Ah, that's tough. I mean, that that's that's tough. Dual we'll focus. see how that lasts.
0: Yep. I mean, Roku, Roku is spent so much time building out their ad stack, um, but they're also trying to make the best. Uh, streaming devices, right. and,
2: and Roku can can go into multiple hardware, but then again, you can make the flip argument, and I can't believe I'm making this analogy, but like Apple melded the two together of hardware and software, right? And obviously it was very successful. I certainly don't think Vizio is going to be the next Apple of televisions. <laughs> <laughs> so, and you're and no, you're going if you're Vizio, you're going up against, you know, not only Roku embedded in TVs, a separate box, but also Android, which is good, and you know maybe WebOS, which was a great device um, operating system. It hasn't been as good, at least in my experience on on the television and Apple, by the way. Well, (laughs) the
1: only thing I was going to add is the one thing that I've sort of been surprised about. Well, I was just going to say where I've been wrong for sure. We look at, you know, Brandon and I have been talking sort of ad nauseum about how we think the Google TV interface is the best and the best device. Best device is clearly not winning. Nobody has Google TV. No one's buying the new Chromecast. Roku and these smart TVs are smoking Google in, in the US. It's not even in, in the ballpark. I mean, Google's literally irrelevant. And so maybe good enough combined with the, being in the device, maybe that's all that matters. Well, I mean, Android you have to Sony, be you're
2: saying Sony's got a very low share of smart televisions right now? Gotcha. You you people are missing out because my Sony TV is awesome. <laughs> so, but you're that that just underscores your point, Rich,
0: which is I'm going to raise my hand on Sony Television.
2: <laughs> you say also. yes or no? You're against me or with me on that?
0: With you, I'm yeah, raising, I agree. I'm right, but that that Android.
2: underscores Rich's point. So, what is that? It's a marketing issue that Android Google has not done uh, a good I mean, enough I'm, job. Marketing. I'm going
1: to be a little. Uh, first of all, I'm going to say both of you are too wealthy, right? Like you're not in the like nobody buys Sony TVs. They're just way too high price point for, for the yeah. mass market. Like
0: I no, I bought no
1: <laughs> Guys, guys, you're you're literally in the the eighth of a you know one oh, percent.
2: I mean, what what are you <laughs> okay. people doing though? It's fucking uh, COVID. Uh, like you're stuck at home. Of course, get dude. the best TV and the best operating system. Uh, okay, you guys. I you. Literally, I can't, can't even believe so we're having this conversation. i Embarrass myself. Go. Oh.
1: Um, hold on. Um, Brandon.
0: Oh. No. It game looks it. it looks to me like we have a couple of video game acquisitions here um i'll I'll read them both out. Um, first, epic games has acquired mediatonic, the developer behind fall guys. and then the second one is that Zynga acquires Diablo co-creator Ektra games in expansion to PC and consoles. so Two very separate stories here. I'll start with Zynga because it's one that we've talked a lot about in the past. And I think it was even on our last two podcasts, which is that the video game world is moving to cross-platform. We have um, publishers in the U.S. like... Activision that are trying to take their IP and their know-how and translate it onto mobile devices. Zynga is going in the opposite direction, but as they move um, to cross-play off of just mobile, they're going to need to build much deeper experiences um, with really, you know, also better graphics. To keep it simple, and they they got some of the know-how in that natural motion acquisition. Yeah, I don't know how many years ago, what was that like nine years ago? And we were like, why'd they buy natural motion in this game? CSR racing. Um, but that's a building block, but also they need uh, developers who know how to build that. that but type isn't of game, it also a simple an acquisition?
1: But can I also just like say, like when you look at a game, like among us, which is yeah. clearly cross-platform, yeah. people are playing on PC, yeah. playing on mobile. Like they're not, it's not a highly advanced game but obviously you need PC. I mean, PC is a critical part. I mean, people are definitely playing on PCs and they're playing on iPads and they're playing on phones. And it it, it feels like consumers are just more and more seeing but, that as table but,
0: stakes. Um, yeah, I, I think that those those much more casual games um, are becoming more popular, but it seems like Zynga also wants to move in to doing... You know, to, to building deeper games and expanding their their game expertise and the verticals in which they play outside of simply casual games, even if casual games are their beachhead. Um, and then speaking about the, those types of highly social casual games, like Among Us, um, Fall Guys actually really fits that bill. Um, it has... It has had wide appeal, especially in COVID. Or well, my ten-year-old um, loves
1: it. Loves it.
0: Yeah, I mean it's it's right up there with 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 uh, among us and Epic wants to build this platform and then eventually enable a metaverse where everybody is interacting in virtual space. So these highly social games um, that. Have a lot of players make sense as a beachhead for them as they expand their owned and operated past uh, past Fortnite. Um, the very accessible um, but highly engaging game uh, Rocket League is the other major uh, game acquisition that they made, um, which has you know this is a battle royale game, but it has similar properties.
1: Do you think either one, I mean, it, when you think about what Fortnite's trying to do, does this meaningfully change like what they're trying to build in terms of like a developer ecosystem? Like, is this part of what, where they're going with this? Is that we'll see sort of a, a world or set kind of a sandbox world built off of this? Or that's, you know, I think that's totally separate from what they're trying to do within the, the main Fortnite. No, I,
0: I think that it will be, it's a component on their owned and operated platform now, or can be.
1: Right. So I guess we'll see how that, you know, the, the, we'll see what happens and how they sort of that sort of plays out over the course of um the acquisition. I don't know, we'll see. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated because I just feel like they're Epic just keeps buying more and more pieces of the the ecosystem as they try to put all this together.
0: Yep. I mean, they have the game engine, they have store, they have highly engaged and highly um social owned and operated games now. Um yeah they're yeah, Tim they house Sweeney, party. Tim, like they're just house they Tim Sweeney's more pieces trying to trying to build the metaverse, and at the same time, they're trying to knock out the middleman so that developers can get much higher fees and are incentivized to create these um these virtual experiences
1: okay, now a little surprise for our audience. They know we've talked about this topic a lot, so I had to add this slide in. Um, you can now go watch Tenant in the East Village in New York City. I know if you've oh been boy. dying to see Chris Nolan's film, you can now see it in the East Village. Um, we'll see how people rush back to see Tenant after all of this time. Um, but it but it sort of plays into, you know, this concept of theaters are starting to open up and everyone's trying to figure out, like, what does this mean for the the, the movie theater business? And what I think is interesting is you're seeing sort of, a whole bunch of moves by the companies. And so I'll just read both of these. We've got Bob Chapik from Disney was at an, uh, was, was speaking earlier this week. And he goes, um, we're not sure things are going back to pre-pandemic theatrical windows. So uh, my guess is the idea that movies wait 75, 90 days before they come out in some form of home entertainment, we're not going back to that. Is it going to be 17 days, 30 days, 45 days? no idea, but something probably in that range is far more likely. Maybe it's 60 days, but it certainly seems like we're going to have much shorter windows. And then at the same time, what was interesting is Universal's pushing F9 out a month, uh, going a further month out uh, from May to June. But the real kicker is they're taking Minions, which was supposed to be June or July 2020, then moved to July 2021, is now being pushed to July 2022. And it just sort of strikes me that You know, they're all of these studios are still kind of continuing to hedge and continue to be nervous. Like, can can you really release a theatrical movie at scale this calendar year? And I think everyone is still very, very nervous about whether you can do that. Uh, Obviously, Disney is going to go with sort of feels like some form of hybrid strategy the way. Obviously, we've seen Warner. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the AT&T Analyst Day if they give us some data, hopefully, Walt, around what's happened with their day and date releases. We keep seeing them do one after another. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, um, whether anybody's willing to go with a pure theatrical release for a movie at any point during this year or where everybody is going to be in this hybrid strategy.
2: So let me provide two kind of contradictory thoughts on this uh, this whole movie theater thing. First of all, Um, I think things psychologically are moving very quickly. People are getting vaccines. Numbers are dropping. Um, I personally, and I think many people will be fired up to see this summer, a a Marvel movie in a large screen setting. Now, that's point number one, Whether whether that means for the overall movie industry, you're the expert on that. The counterpoint to that is this morning on the Today Show, they featured a a movie theater owner in New York City, because I think New York City just opened up recently. It's and he it was Today. Ex- I think it's Today. <sighs> You're right. It was Today. So I, I they did a feature today. piece on the Today Show, and I was watching um, with Jessica, my wife, about this. And this guy was in this, th- and it was like one of those theaters, I guess it was in the village or something, where it was like split down. So there was like the row was like three seats on one side and three on the other, and like I don't, why would you ever go back to one of those crappy little movie theaters, you know, for something like this? I don't, but again, maybe that was my view even prior to COVID, but I think it underscores it. People have whatever, you know, have their, have their TVs their, you know, you had to have had some investment in your home, um, entertainment, um, during these, this COVID period. So going back to going back to a large Dolby theater, or whatever it is, is one thing, but like. Who goes back to those shitty little theaters that are like the old school theaters cut down into three?
1: Well, look, I think to your point, Ben Affleck, I don't have the tweet up, but Ben Affleck actually was quoted in a Hollywood Reporter story this week saying, I think there's basically going to be ultimately like 40 movies and there'll be the big action movies, you know, your Marvel comment, Walt, maybe DC Comics, but there'll basically be 40 major movies a year that you want to see in theaters and all these others dramas, comedy seems high. Well, remember, there's 300 a few years ago.
2: I, I understand that. 40 <laughs> seems high in terms of things that you really need to see on a real big, gigantic Dolby screen as opposed to these like basically like, I don't know.
1: But but here's the problem. Basement not theaters. One, <laughs> right. But the problem is there's not one theater in America that can stay open on 30 to 40 films a year.
2: Okay. Well, there you go.
1: That's a problem.
2: Well, that's but, unfortunate.
1: Uh, well, uh, that's where the challenge comes in. Indeed. Okay um Twitter uh the Verge reporting Twitter users on Android can now join the platform's Clubhouse-like spaces so you can get spaces on Android before you can get Clubhouse on Android feels sort of unexpected for uh for Twitter
0: I think it makes I think it makes sense right well, because I- because Twitter already existed um on Android and this is an addendum to the Twitter platform so it's not like they had to figure out um, how to bring an app across the various <laughs> phones. But, Brandon, you could, you, could, you could say
2: that about any number of iterations that you and I would say, like, well, it's obvious that Twitter should be able to iterate that. And they haven't done that historically. <laughs> but they are,
0: they are moving their ass. Applause. That is true. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
2: They're moving faster.
1: And I mean, I'm sure, look, Android is, or Clubhouse is certainly coming to Android. I can't imagine they're not. Obviously, the challenge that we always hear with Android is it's not building for one platform. It's building for many builds and many different devices, and it's more complicated, but I'm sure it's happening. Uh, it is just strange that despite all of the excitement around Clubhouse, it is sort of odd that they still haven't begun the launch on Android yet.
2: When are they coming to Windows phones?
1: Is there still a Windows phone?
2: Tizen? I no no, Does idea. it still
1: exist? No, it doesn't exist. That, there's, no no there's no way. There's no way there's still I I would be shocked if there's still an you Android. That blue
2: phone. Windows phone that I had, that that powder blue, I think Nokia made it. No, I do not.
1: Uh, Brandon, walk us through this because I literally have read all of the stuff on this and I have no idea. <laughs> so I, I need I need you I mean, no, to, to read it and explain it to me. I
0: mean, not that I'm exactly um the crypto <laughs> expert here, but um I I will read the various tweets. Um, read Jack's first, the announcement. Yeah, I think we should read Jack. Square is acquiring a majority ownership stake in title through a new joint venture with the original artists becoming the second largest group of shareholders and Jay-Z joining the Square board. Why would a music streaming company and a financial services company join forces? Question mark. Exclamation point. <laughs> um Threaded to it comes down to a simple idea: finding new ways for artists to support their work. New ideas are found at the intersections, and we believe there's a compelling one between music and the economy. Making the economy work for artists is similar to what Square has done for sellers.
1: So so, so hold on, just pause for a second before you even go further. No, I'm I'm just because I read it. Let's let's think about it. (laughs) But but Title is not a music label, so if you owned or a management company. Titles a music like, streaming service that is just like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music. They don't own music right. or they don't own content. So but I don't understand right. at all.
0: They're, they're, a, they're a platform that has certain influential and a brand uh, that has certain influential owners um, that are managing it. But the, I, the confusion is warranted. Because why would you buy a, a company that is a music access platform when it right. sounds like this deal is about reinvigorating ownership yes. and, and kind of turning back the clock to, to figure out economics for artists before um, streaming when, like they were was, much, if- when they were much more lucrative?
1: Like the, if this was Square buying Scooter and, Braun's management company w- who controls artists or his, you know, portfolio of artists or this was, you know, Scooter Braun buying, you know, uh, I mean, you know, or I don't know, or sorry, Square partnering. But, with for, four but perhaps,
0: perhaps there's a, the recognition that access is going to be um, a part of music, but that there's ways to supplement the access economy with ownership models that can be marketed out of that access funnel. And one of could, the key do ways a, to give do an that,
1: explanation of that. Explain what that means.
0: Okay. So the um, just imagine you're on title or spotify and you're you're listening to certain music, but then also in addition, have the ability to purchase something digitally that comes from the artist, whether it's the album itself, special tracks um, that are true digital assets that are on the blockchain and that um, you can prove your ownership of and can't be replicated without permission. Um, So as somebody who is passionate about an artist, I might want to own that thing knowing that NFTs have seemed to have true value to people who want to flex um, ownership and that it, so it, it may be able to um, appreciate in value over time.
1: Okay, and so then you want to tie so, that into what the other news is this week?
0: Yeah. Um, Kings of Leon this is from Variety to offer new album as an NFT. So there you go.
1: And why is that I mean, as a as an NFT, like so the digital. Oh, you're, 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 fully, the you're, fu-
0: you're fully cutting out the middleman, right? It's it's we talk a lot about going direct to consumer it's well, it's so, the way well, to go to it. direct to consumer and sell something that isn't replicable like in mp3 right,
1: no no right so right now i would go to amazon and i would buy the album i, I don't think you
0: I... would i i don't i don't I, i'm not exactly sure um, no no i'm where, not saying where where this you're buying it My i'm saying guess if i was going
1: if i if i was going to go buy a coldplay album I would go to Amazon or I'd go to some uh, some store that And your ownership
0: saved. your ownership basically means nothing. Right? Well, I mean because... I
1: download a file and I download an MP3 and I have ownership of that MP3 or AAC file.
0: That's it. But no now one Now I'm going to go
1: now I'm going to buy an NFT directly from the band is the concept. Like I'm going to yes. buy the album and it's going to live on the blockchain and maybe it comes with more than just the album. It comes with digital ownership or digital access. And there, there gonna...
0: may be scarcity to that ownership. There could be a way to participate potentially in the economy that's driven off of that ownership. There's, well, that's interesting. There's the idea that only so many copies of artists, the album could be sold. Yeah. Who, who owns and who doesn't. Um, so, there's, I think it's just about experimenting with the flexibility that's brought about um, by utilizing blockchain. And NFTs have become, again, something that's a little more accessible and accepted lately, not just because of artists like Beatle, but really because I think of, of NFT, of um, NBA Top Shots. That's the second time I confused NBA of of NBA top shots um, where um, there is something tangible and relatable about that ownership because we collected baseball cards and they changed in value over time.
1: Well, I think what's really interesting about what you just said is if I think about the way art has gone up in value or to your point, baseball cards, it's the scarcity value. Nobody really needs to own music anymore because you have unlimited access to music. But for the super fan, could you create sort of like the fan club of there's only, yes, yes. There's only a million copies of this album ever being made. That's
0: exactly the, the idea. And you're, you're selling um, essentially passion.
1: I still don't know exactly what this has to do with square but I I have that part of it. Let's
0: get back to square. Okay. And this is complicated and it's not something honestly that I I fully understand. And I think we're all learning it together. We are by no means um, blockchain experts. But if you look at Jack Dorsey's Twitter profile, what does it say on it? It says Bitcoin. And if you think about the blue sky project, which in some ways could be almost disruptive, um, to to Twitter itself, um, I, Jack Dorsey has clearly embraced a decentralized um, crypto future, and I think that part part of buying and selling NFTs, it, it's part of the problem. Is and I get back to the word accessibility. it, it it's hard. It's like where do you go? Um, you have to get Ethereum. Then you have to go to a platform and buy something in Ethereum. And it's not user-friendly. Then you have to store it in a wallet. Um, Square, I think, wants to make that more seamless and easier for for the broader consumer. And music might be a good place to start because everybody listens to music and understands it. What did they pay for this? That is a very uneducated, by the way, um, point of view on what happened here. I I actually,
1: I (laughs) don't know what the, I don't know if, do we know a price? I don't know if I saw a price anywhere for the Well, if you were to guess
2: like an over under number that would have to be disclosable. Um, And the reason I ask is because four years ago, Sprint invested $200 million at a $600 million valuation.
0: Mark just chimed in. It's 297. So that was
2: a 50% lower than the valuation 10. that Sprint invested in Title four years ago. That was a Marcelo deal, Marcelo Clare um, <clears throat> from four years
0: ago. But Was this a cash deal or a stock deal? <laughs> I don't know. Well, no. In if it Sprint's a case, stock, it was a cash was a deal, deal, a stock they, deal. At a time when they theoretically
2: should have been investing in their, <laughs> at a time when they should have been investing in their network, they put two hundred dollars, two hundred million into title.
1: <laughs> uh, let's go to our final slide of the week, Walt. I know you uh, feel sort of you were you were really interested in sort of the store topic. So, well, I saw this. Stores. I saw
2: this tweet. Yes, from CNBC. Um, good scoop, I guess. Disney shuttering at least 20% of Disney stores as it shifts focus to e-commerce. I don't really care about Disney stores, to be honest, but it was just a, a reason for me to talk about how in twenty also in 2017, while Marcello was spending $200 million on Tidal, um, Mike Sievert, then COO of T-Mobile, wrote a, you know, I would almost call it like a, uh, who was that, that agent, that movie in The Agent? He wrote the memo about the change of the... <laughs>
1: It Manifesto. Tom
2: Cruise. When Tom Cruise wrote that piece, then he got fired, and then he'd be, you know, be, anyway. So Sievert wrote this thing about um, basically the this you know how brick and mortar stores are still very important. And T-Mobile actually ramped up a lot of their store, the distribution by then. And then I think there's probably been some pullback post transaction with Sprint, and I think there's certainly signs that AT&T and Verizon are looking at reducing stores. So I mean, I think this underscores kind of the post-COVID world in terms of where people are going to be buying products. And thankfully, um, coming up, we have three big investor days. AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile are all having their investor days. Mike Sievert has promised to me on Twitter that he will be t- discussing this <laughs> this this uh, uh, stuff with stores. Obviously, the bigger focus is going to be all the amount of money that Verizon spent on 5G, what is their strategy? And in, in T-Mobile's case, maybe they talk about distribution. They're also probably going to talk about but, but, 5G. But can I,
1: just, can I just pause you for a second? Because early in the pandemic, I remember one of the things that you were writing about and talking about was the high percentage of phones that were basically acquired in stores versus online.
2: Right, it's 80%. So the, so the theory is like, is that changing? Right. Um, I think Dish... Um, Is looking to figure out ways to do more e-commerce rather than trying to figure out how to build up some distribution channel. So, if eighty percent of people are buying through stores, company-owned stores or dealers, like is that dynamic going to change? So, I think talking about, I think the companies will include that in their outlook. But again, the bigger thing that people will focus on, and what we'll probably be talking about in next week's podcast, is what they've said about five G. And then, of course, in AT&T's case. how much will HBO Max play into the discussion on their analyst day? Because again, to reiterate what we said last week, I believe, the spectrum that ATT and t purchased indicates that they're going to accelerate their capital investment in 5G and mid-band spectrum. So they're selling direct TV. They're not getting that much money. They're, they, they're spending it. They're spending $28 billion on the spectrum itself. They're accelerating CapEx what are the dollars left over to invest in this content that, that you guys want to have to build their, their subscriber services? And will that be addressed okay. at an investor day, right? An investor day should right. be what your overall company's well, doing while your two peers are going to be focused primarily on what they're doing on 5G.
1: Well, and on top of that, the other piece of this, Walt, is Jason Kylar, I did it right, was asked uh, at an analyst or um, uh, investor conference, uh, sort of about Turner, and he sort of just shifted quickly to talking about HBO Max and it's like is turner like why do they own turner like does turner even matter is turner for sale with you know why not monetize turner and harvest cash out of selling it to somebody else or merging it with somebody else or is turner just basically being you know you know i want to say from an operational gut the operations harvest cash out of it redeploy it for cash. it, into, yeah. it yeah,
2: seems I mean, well it, one or the other but i think i think to me the bias, the cultural bias at T would be sell, monetize, don't don't um, milk the cash flow of that asset, figure out a strategic okay. way um, to get rid of all that stuff so they can focus basically on two things, building the 5G network and continuing to generate cash flow there. And driving, getting the content that they need to drive the HBO Max subscribers as high as they can.
1: Period. If you, if, if if all you care about is HBO Max globally, and it sounds like that's the only thing that they care about on the Warner Media side, then Turner Cable Networks, the decline of viewership, and all of that crap is a complete distraction.
2: So they were very quick, well, slow and quick, meaning that for for a long time we heard about Directv and get rid of it. Like soon after CBN auction, boom, done with yep. Apollo, I guess. Um, I don't know. If, are they going to be ready to do, say anything about Turner? Because like, again, these are critical questions that AT&T should be addressing You know, at their investor day coming up this week. And Verizon's got their own questions and T-Mobile has their own questions as well. So it should be a, should be a fun week uh, upcoming. Another grueling one, perhaps. Maybe not as grueling as this past week, but- um,
1: Well, I don't know. We had a week two weeks ago where we had five <laughs> analyst days in five days. You've got three in five days. It's like analyst, I mean, maybe because it's virtual, it's just easier to put on analyst days, but I feel like we've had more analyst days. It's crazy. Like, nuts, n- we've never seen anything like it before. Analyst we, days were few and far between.
0: We went from earnings to analyst days, to conference season, back to analyst days. It's never ending, boys. Oh, we got playout music? Oh. Bye, 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 bye. Is, this, um, <laughs> is this Timberlake? The insane. <laughs> a, a, return, a returns him. of the '90s. He's 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 a featured
2: actor on some show that I just saw pushed to me on. Like he plays a a role what of like show? a single dad or something like that. That looked good. I may I may put that on the watch list for this weekend and report back for next week. I'm a Timberlake fan. I'll be honest. And I actually like Bieber as well. Like Bieber can. Yeah, that's right. Bieber do you, do you like know?
0: Timberlake? As part of InSync or solo better?
2: Um, I like them better solo. Um, but, you know. Whatever, it's fine. The bye, bye, bye. Bye. bye,
1: everyone. <laughs>
2: Crank it.